first of all, I mean, I guess most of you know me. I've seen Opal, my precious wife Opal and I around here for the past year or so. And uh, a quick bit about me, I, I grew up in Florida, got to Texas as fast as I could, but that was after college. Okay, but I got a great job. I was a marine biologist for uh, 29 years with the University of Texas down in Galveston. And I had a, an incredible life, but the one thing diving and traveling the world and all showed me was what an amazing creation we live in. And to think that we were to believe this all happened by accident and chaotic coincidence was beyond my faith. I didn't have enough faith to believe that. I saw a creator's hand. But, but, but late in my life, in my 40s, I had a real spiritual awakening that led me eventually to take an early retirement at 52. And at 55, I planted a church in Florida. We had gone back. Opal and I had traveled back to Florida to care for my mother and father who were in their 90s. And so I took an early retirement, and I learned that 55 is really old to start a church, but I did it anyway, and it worked out great. It's an amazing fellowship, and God made it possible for us to hand it over and, and move back here and now minister to our family and our grandchildren and our, and our children and, um, and to be part of this awesome little church. I just, we just love being a part of Hope Church. Um, Bible has been passed out. We're going we're gonna to be looking today at it's a teaching, it's, I call it, you know, serving God with a willing heart. Serving God with a willing heart. I want to remind you, you, you probably know, but I just want to remind you how it's the Lord's desire and it blesses Him when we give of ourselves to Him with a willing heart. Now, we can give out of an obedient heart. Uh, we can be pressured, sort of, there can be sort of peer pressure to serve in the kingdom of God, but He loves it when we bring this to him from a, a place of generousness in our heart for what he's done for us. And we're just going to dwell on that thought today, you know. And as I look around here at the servants we have from the very back up here to the front and those that were just behind me, you know, I don't see a, a problem. I see people serving with joy. But life can get busy. And we can say yes an awful lot to the needs. And sometimes we can find ourselves serving the Lord from a place of a burdened heart. You know, and it's sort of like, oh, it's Sunday already again. I've got to go, or whatever. You know, maybe you're not sowing your time, talents, and treasures into Christ's kingdom work anywhere. Because it's not just a church. We have ministries in our home. We have the opportunity to do ministry where we work. You know, we have, we have, we have our families. We have our job. Our, maybe our, our, our sports, our hobbies. We, we meet people. But, but if you're not sowing, if you're not, you know, giving to the Lord into, into His kingdom work anywhere, I can assure you that's not God's plan for your life. Now, I'm just the messenger, but if we can look at Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Hmm. Not just to be saved and not just to live eternally in heaven, we were, we've been saved. We are his workmanship, created for good works, which God prepared, get this, before you were ever saved. God's got something he has planned for you. And, and right now, you may very well not know what it is, and that's okay. But he knew before the foundations of the earth, right? And he wants that we should walk in those. And so today might be uh, an encouragement, an exhortation to continually be seeking the Lord. Now, what might he have me doing in the kingdom of God, okay? 
Now, a scripture that really challenged me the first time I, I read it or heard it speaks, I think, to this concept of, of, of having a willing heart. And it's in Hebrews 12, and it starts in verse 1. And it says this, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We just saw something about that, right? Walking in the works he's put before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, stop right there, who for the joy set before him, the joy, what, what might he be talking about here, the writer of Hebrews? Uh, maybe when Christ got to teach the Sermon on the Mount. That had to be glorious on that hillside on the Sea of Galilee and hundreds, maybe thousands gathered. And he begins just sharing, what is the kingdom of God? What does this kingdom look like? A sermon that turned everything people thought about the world upside down. Love your enemies, pray for those who curse you. On and on and on. Was it that? No. Was it? How about for the joy of walking to Lazarus' tomb with his weeping sisters on either side and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And how, that would be pretty, I could do that with joy. How about, how about the people waving palm fronds and throwing their coats on the floor before Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? That had to be, for the joy set before him, enter No. Not what this verse is talking about. Next slide. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. That's a mind blower, isn't it? I don't think that's how I would have described my situation as I'm beaten, bleeding, tired, and dragging an, a giant cross up a hill, Skull Hill, Golgotha, and I'm, in short order, going to be nailed to that. Would I have described my own experiences with the joy set before me? No, I might have said something like, you know, well, for, for knowing it was the right thing to do, or, or for knowing that, that I should just do this, or, or something like that. It, it, but it's, it's sort of amazing that Christ did it for joy. And if he did it with joy, it seems that he had to do it willingly. He had, you can't be coerced into doing something joyfully, right? So I think that's, that's something we can think about. Now, how can we relate to this? I've got a crazy analogy. I think I'm the first pastor to ever draw something spiritual out of skydiving. Next slide. 30 years ago, I got into skydiving. And that's me on the far top left corner, um, doing a, joining a 10-person formation in free fall. And so I did about 130 skydives when I was young and crazy. And then I had kids, and I felt guilty about maybe not seeing them grow up. I don't know. Um, and I retired, but it was, it was crazy. But here, here's my point, is this. Um, this morning, I just want to say, you know, a lot of people are... Any, any, anyone, ever, anyone ever done a tandem jump or skydived in here? Okay, one person. Praise God. Okay. Um, a few... A few so how many of you might say, you know, I'll bet it's scary, but I bet, it, I bet I'd love... I bet it would be awesome to do it. Anybody? I mean, that's okay. I think that'd be cool, but, uh, but I, that would be cool. Now, the rest of you, I presume, you couldn't be dragged out of an airplane two miles up by a herd of horses wearing 10 parachutes, right? But I just want to tell you how skydivers think. When do planes crash? When they land. We get out halfway before the dangerous part, okay? And we fly back in nice and slow on our period. Anyway, um, a few things. Now, did you know there's no sense of falling when you skydive? 
When you jump out of the play, you have no frame of reference. And it feels like a powerful wind driving up from the ground, holding you motionless. That's what, it feel, that's what your brain, that's the only way you can process it, right? So first of that, and, um, and then people say, well, why should I jump out of a perfectly good airplane? And we just say there's no such thing, okay? So anyway, and finally, it's got a bad reputation, certainly. I was, I was watching literally a news feed one day on my computer a decade or so ago, and unfortunately, they were reporting of a, a fatality at a skydiving area. And the newspaper reporter went to the skydiving, the, the drop zone, to talk to the, diving, the, the skydiving instructor. Do you know what his name was? David Pancake. Could there be a worse name in the world for a professional skydive instructor than David Pancake? I, I don't know what it might be. Um, Dr. Payne, the dentist, move over. David Pancake's got your place now. Okay. Now here's what I learned. I also was a scuba instructor and the same idea. If you come to skydiving or scuba diving and you're being forced or coerced or you have a spouse that wants you to do it because they like it but you don't really like being underwater, you know, you're not, I saw, you know, especially girlfriends and wives that never enjoyed diving because they were sort of being pushed into it. And skydiving was the same way but I always found that people that wanted I bet that's awesome and, and skydiving, I know that they might have to push me out of the plane the first time but I bet it's going to be awesome. And then when you experience it, you tend to have a great experience, right? And, and, I, and I did see that over and over again. So um, my point is this. I think giving of ourselves to the Lord, giving our whole life, taking that step out the door of the plane, if you will, into the realm of serving the Lord is like this. What's your, heart, what's your heart's motivation in doing that? Are you doing it because maybe the Lord can use me? Maybe, it's probably going to be scary. Gosh, I've never done anything like this, but I bet it, it could be awesome. It could be awesome to do that. So I think when we start to wrap our arms around this, we, we want to know, how is the Lord most blessed by my life when I, when I give it to Him as a living sacrifice? Don't you want to know how to bless the Lord? I sure. Uh, anytime I could sort of do a little part of my life, I want, I want to go there. Now, the principal scripture we're going to be looking at because we want to learn something about how the, how the Lord looks at this is in Exodus 35. Now, if you got handed a Bible, your marker has been marked to Exodus 35. Please open there. We're going to be in verse 1. You're going to see God uh, revealing something really intimate about himself and his relationship here with his chosen people, Israel, but is not the church still his chosen people in the world, right? Okay. Now, rarely in the Old Testament, especially in the books of the law, especially in Exodus and Leviticus, right? God gives commands, but he generally doesn't give commands for you to obey if you sort of feel like it, right? No, the Ten Commandments have things like thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? Okay, and uh, he didn't come, uh, Moses didn't come off the mountaintop with the ten really good suggestions, okay, thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? Well, those sorts of things, no one was exempt from that kind of a command from God, right? Let's look at uh, the first couple of, first three verses of Exodus 35, right? These are perfect illustrations of this. So now Moses has come down off Mount Sinai and he is sharing with the people what God told him to tell them, okay? But this is Moses talking to the people, right? So Moses assembled, verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done. 
But on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Pay attention. Whoever does any work shall be put to death. Yikes. That's a commandment, right? No wiggle room. You, you need to do this. He goes on in verse 3, and we, we know this just hangs right off of that. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So those are those intense dictates from God we think of when we think of these Old Testament commandments, right? Uh, do it this way. Do it when I said to do it. And if you don't, we're going to have a little rock throwing party out back and you're going to be the guest of honor, okay? So you better pay attention, okay? So, now who was exempt from those two commands we just saw? Who would be exempt from those? No one. Those were everybody rules, agreed? Everybody rules, right? I want us to go to verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution of gold, silver, bronze. Stop there. Whoa. Did something just happen there? Well, what did the Lord just say back there? Whoever is of a generous heart, your Bible, some, some translation would say a willing heart. Right after those previous two? That struck me. That caught my eye. Now, would anyone be exempt from that command? Sure. Anyone without a generous heart. Anyone with a, a selfish, self-serving, self-focused, you know, this is my stuff. The Lord can go get his own stuff, you know. But he only wanted people to bring a contribution who had a generous heart. Out of the ordinary, right? And first of all, I want to say, this shows us a little bit about God, too. I've got two things up here I want you to just uh, learn from this. We see that God does not make your yoke heavy, and in some areas leaves it to us to judge what is right, especially on this side of the cross, right? So we see that. So he's, he's, he left it to the people there. They'll say, do you have a generous heart? Bring something. If you can't say yes, just keep your stuff. I don't need it. That's sort of God's attitude, right? And the second thing we might learn is that God loves a cheerful giver and is most pleased by a generous free will offering. So we learn this from this little passage in Exodus. So we've got the Lord requesting a special offering of basically raw materials as we're about to see, but, but with a special stipulation. They are to represent something of, from our heart, right? We get that? Now, look back in verse 5. We're going to finish uh, verse 5 and read a few more verses. Exodus 35, verse 5, starting sort of in the middle there with gold, silver, and bronze. So these are the things to bring. Okay, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast piece. So what we have here, this is a raw materials list for a number of things the Lord needed because they were starting to build the tabernacle, right? And now the next thing I want us to see is that we can take that materials list, can I have the next slide? And we can break it into three categories of items. So you might notice the first category, very precious and expensive, gold, silver, bronze, probably also diamonds, emeralds, and sapphire. Then um, we have, secondly, semi-precious gems, like onyx and topaz and amethyst and beryl and jasper. Okay, we know those were in the ephod of the high priest. He had 12 different 
precious and semi-precious stones in that ephod. And the third things are items of the common folk, linen, animal skins, thread, goat hair, spices, oil, even just pieces of wood. God wanted a willing offering from everyone. That's who he wanted it from. And he made it possible for anyone to be able to bring him something he needed that was needed. Whether you were one of the richest, one of the tribal leaders of the 12 tribes, or, or just maybe a, a shepherd or something, or, or the poorest person, if all you could bring was a piece of wood, it was acacia wood, but it grew there. In, in the, if, you, if that's what you had to bring, he, he was so glad to have that if you brought it with a generous heart. This is, this is all I've been prizing this. Maybe I was going to carve something for my family or my father, but I want you to have it, Lord. All the way up to the, to the grid stuff. I love what Matthew Henry said, an 1800s commentator. But he said, God has an eye to the heart of the giver more than to the value of the gift. So he doesn't care how good you are at preaching the word of God or, or, or serving or being an usher or playing music or working in the tech team. He cares more about your heart in doing that. Okay, that's more important. And so he knows it's a blessing to give to the Lord gladly and he's made a way for anyone in the tribes of Israel here who was willing to experience the blessing. So we've got the Lord requesting a special offering but with a stipulation on it. Drop down to verse 20. Verse 20 says this, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So he's told them this stuff. They all take off. So some depart, but then only some come back. Who are they? Let's look in verse 21. So they all leave, and then it says, And they came, everyone, not every everyone, but everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, right? Verse 22, just jump to there. So they came, both men and women, so everybody, all who were of a willing heart, brought basically their offerings. How beautiful. Can you imagine that? What, what a moment that was to just see these people. Have you ever seen the pictures of the camps of Israel? A million people and the tribes, and you see everybody coming to the center where the tabernacle would end up being. And everyone's just bringing their, their willing contribution to this work of God, right? So the only ones who came back were those with willing hearts, right? Now, God wanted a special tabernacle, right? And so that's the what. He needs this tabernacle. But I think there's something more important than the what of this story. And there's the why of it. And th there's a why that hasn't been answered yet, okay? Why did God want his tabernacle built from offerings given only from willing hearts? Well, Moses doesn't tell us here. The answer lies 10 chapters back, so don't lose your place in 35, but go back to chapter 25. Just spin back to chapter 25 of Exodus, verse 1. So while you're going there, just we understand Moses has been telling the people what, what God has said, but in chapter 25, it's God telling Moses what he wants to tell the people when he goes back down. But they're sort of having a little party with some golden calves and stuff when Moses' first time comes down. But anyway, that's just before. This is verse 20, chapter 25 where the Lord is telling Moses for the very first time. And what does he say there? The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And I like the New King James has it this way. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. So Moses was accurate in what he told the people, right? 
He's, he, this is what God, in fact, told him. He was very accurate in conveying that to the people. Look at verse 3. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze. It's going to go on and list all those raw materials again. But for time, we're not going to read all of that. But this does bring us to the why. Why did God want this kind of an offering? And in verse 8, we get our answer. And it says this. And he says, so he's saying this to Moses. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That I may dwell. In other words, that I might dwell among them. And what he's saying is where I want to dwell, everything I see in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, in the front part of the tabernacle, everything my eye sees or my hands touch, I know it came from one of my people who had a willing heart to, to bring it for my, for my home here on earth, okay? Now, was God homeless? Was he desperate? You know, did, did he, was he like walking around, I, I've got no, no place to lay my head? Hardly. He's the creator of the universe. He, has, he controls all the splendors of heaven, right? And he, he dwells there as well. But he also wants to live and dwell among his people. You remember, Genesis, Genesis, you know, Adam and Eve, um, God comes walking through the garden. Adam, Eve, where are you guys? Time for us to hang out again today. See, from the very beginning, God's wanted fellowship and to be with his people. And so things that went crazy, and at this point in the biblical story, he wants to come to earth again and dwell among his people. And that makes this offering that special in that way. Hope that's making sense to you. And so it was brought with joy. So we see the why of this story. It's his dwelling place because he wants to be with his people, but he wants it to be a special place. Now, if you don't mind, flip to a chapter, we're in 35, but go to verse 29. Uh, excuse me, we've got to go back to Exodus 35. We're going to look at verse 29. It says here that, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Okay? So uh, the last point I'll make on this is that God did command that this work be done, right? But he did not, well, he commanded it, but he did not demand from everybody that everyone had to bring something to it. Not for the sacred place he would dwell in. It was going to be something special. And I think this is our heart here. I think I can speak for the pastors here at Hope Church, Iglesia Esperanza, that the giving of our time, our talents, and treasures to the kingdom work of this church, we want that kind of offering. We, 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 God will be most blessed if our church is giving that way. Whatever it is, the smallest task to the largest, right? It boils down to 2 Corinthians 8.12, and it says this, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. God, will, your, your, your service to the Lord will be acceptable if your heart is open to bringing it to Him. Amen? Should be no compulsion, no guilt. We don't want to put peer pressure to, to, to serve or to give. You know, we, they don't do pledge cards here for tithes and all. You know what's here? There's just a wooden box back there. Now, I'm pretty sure the only way tithes get into that wooden box is from willing hearts walking up to it and dropping something in because we don't steer you there. We don't have the ushers there, you know, sort of like bouncers. Have you hit the box yet? No, we don't do that here, right? No way. But where God guides, God provides. And Hope Church believes that. 
And if you're blessed by what the Lord does in your life and your family, to the friends you invite here, to the work we do in the community, you know what? You're going to have a generous heart and you're going to want to pour into that, you know, financially to some way or another, right? Now, if you want to turn to chapter 36 and verse 6, you don't have to, I'll read this to you, but something cool happens. They start bringing these things for the tabernacle. In chapter 36, verse 6, it says, and the people brought too much. They had to be physically restrained from bringing more. That's what can happen when God's people begin giving generously. Small churches that seem small to the world can do amazing things. You know, we can have an amazing kids ministry out there. But we're a small church. We're not going to have every bell and whistle. But we have servants out there week after week that just want to be there and bless our kids, right? And, what, and I could name every other ministry back here, okay? They had to be restrained because they were giving willingly. And then in chapter 40, that's a pretty big jump. But what was the outcome of all this? And this is what I love about this story. Chapter 40, verse 34 says this. It says, Then the cloud... So everything's done, everything's been made, all the ephod's been made, the linen garments, the t- tabernacle's complete, everything's been, all the golden lampstand, the altars and all that jazz, the Ark of the Covenant, it's all there. And in chapter 40, and verse 34, he says, it says, the cloud, you remember the cloud and the fire that followed the Israelites as they left Egypt? Cloud by day, fire by night. <clears throat> then the cloud covered. Can you imagine watching this? The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled it. God came and just filled that place. And I just imagine, I don't know, I'm sure they did a pretty good job of stitching and everything, but at night I imagine there's light rays slipping out here and there. Just imagine God's Shekinah glory in that tabernacle. He was blessed. He was home. Sounds like he was very much satisfied with what had been offered. Amen? And he indwelt that tabernacle for one reason, to be with his people, literally. Now try to imagine the look on the faces and the feelings of the people who had made a contribution to that. Imagine the guy that all he had to bring, all I have is a piece of wood, we have nothing else to bring. But he's standing back on this scene of the Shekinah glory of God filling the tabernacle and realizing that the Lord God at that moment might be touching something that was made from his simple piece of wood and was blessed by that. Anybody, anybody had the opportunity to, be, to bless the Lord and be blessed in return. I just can't even imagine how glorious that had to be. So what does all this mean to us today on this side of the cross? Boy, I better bring this one home pretty fast. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, remember Christ told the Jews getting now to Jesus, and he told his disciples, hey, isn't this an incredible temple up here? Jesus said, if they knock it down, I could rebuild it in three days. And they thought he could literally get out there and, you know, but he was talking about, when he is knocked down, he would be rebuilt in three days. He would die and be resurrected. And that would be the birth of the new, a new kind of temple, right? His resurrection represented the rebuilding of a new spiritual temple. We call that the church today. We're part of that here. 
Now here's the verse that connects to everything I've been sharing with you about God's desires for his temple in the Old Testament and his desires for the temple of the New Testament. Can we have 1 Peter 1 up here? 1 Peter 2, 4, excuse me. As you come to him, a living stone, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, his spiritual temple. On this side of the cross, we also are bringing ourselves because God, Jesus doesn't need us to build buildings per se. He wants to build the temple he's going to dwell in from living stones. And this sanctuary is full of them right now. You are one of, but are you a willing stone <laughs> that, was, that has been brought to him to use to build the kingdom of God on earth? And I think that's the point we're trying to get at. At. And, 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 and I thought about this. I hadn't thought about this before in this teaching, but I thought about when the Holy Spirit came to the, the upper room in Acts chapter 2, 120 faithful, okay? And it says that the Holy, the Holy Spirit came into that place just like the cloud came into the tabernacle. And then we have, what, it was like a blowing wind. It says it was like wind. And then flame. That's like the Shekinah glory of God. And it filled that place and all those 120 became living stones of the new tabernacle that was the church, the body of Jesus Christ on earth. And we today are blessed to be part of that. Well, I want to sort of begin bringing this home. I just want to tell you that God is still in temple building business. He still has a need of living stones he wants everyone that can be harvested to be harvested and brought and added to this great church, that he, worldwide church, and into this church, this little one as well. He needs living stones being offered from willing hearts. Every believing Christian throughout the world is one of the living stones in this living tabernacle. And within this structure, you know, I, I prayed this morning that, Lord, inhabit this place, make this holy ground, because he comes and inhabits his kingdom space. We, we create sacred space when we gather for the name of Christ to worship him. And I'll tell you what, the enemy is not, is not welcome here and I believe is kept out of here when we are here for Christ. Amen? So as we saw in Exodus, God still wants to dwell on a temple, us, built with sacrificial offerings given willingly. Peter goes on to say, he says this, to be a holy, he were to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so what are these acceptable sacrifices? Well, just all sorts of them. But let's just say it. It's like, what are you doing for, for Christ in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships? What are, what are, are, you, are you then taking outside of that? What are you doing within your greater family and your friends? What are, are, and then the church. What are you doing in the kingdom of God? to serve and be one of those necessary stones for the church, right? That's what, that's what Peter's speaking of with that scripture. The good news is, if, if whatever you can do, whatever you can bring, maybe right now all you can bring is a piece of wood. It will be acceptable to the Lord. That would be awesome and you will be blessed. God's blessing will come back upon you because he's grateful and thankful when we do that. You're going to reap joy in your walk with the Lord because he delights in a willing heart. Um, 
And we just have to keep in mind, listen, God could have very easily have demanded that everybody had to bring something. Okay, everyone, and if you don't, you're going to get stoned or something, right? He could have done it that way, but he said, no, 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 no. I want you all, y'all are, I just want you to know you're all able to, but I only want that which is coming from a willing heart. And so that's really what we want to think about as we leave here today. What do you have to offer the Lord? You know, gold and silver. Maybe you can stroke a big check when it comes to church building time. I don't know. Maybe do it, but do it gladly, generously, as if you're giving back to God what, what he loaned to you anyway. Maybe some of those semi-precious things. Well, I can, I can teach kids. I can, I can help set up and tear down. I can, I can do things like Maybe it's the simplest things like, you know, well, set up and tear down might be a little bit more like that. Or, you know, I can hand out Bibles on a Sunday. I, whatever it is, that, that's what I can bring now, and it's going to be a blessing. How about just when we do praise and worship, when Pastor John's up here? You know, we don't sing to ourselves. I mean, I just hope we when we are worshiping the Lord, that's an offering to Him. And if you're sort of worshiping like this, you're not really giving him anything. He doesn't really, doesn't, doesn't want that. He wants this. Thank you. In, in whatever the words are you're singing, this is to you, Lord. Not for me, not for us. This is for you, Lord. It's like sweet incense going up to him. You know, so that God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? So anything you can do, I mean, whatever it's going to do, think back to skydiving. You know, listen, that first time out the door, I was terrified for four seconds. And I was woohooing five seconds after. This is awesome! <laughs> you know? And what you find is serving in the church, whatever it is, you might be so afraid to do something. I mean, I've... Okay, the Holy Spirit will get you out the door, I promise, right? But you're going to find out it's okay. We, and we want to help you thrive in whatever it is you want to do for the Lord. So are you going to jump out of the plane and bring something to the kingdom of God? Or are you going to step back from the door? Step back from the door and go, no thanks, and, and just let that plane circle around and come back in for a landing. Maybe. <laughs> no. I know I want to hear Christ say to me, last slide, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And here it is. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen? The last thing I'm going to say, I think I'm just going to wrap it up there. If you got a Bible today, I marked it with a card. And I'll just say, if, if the Spirit's touched your heart in any way, the very front of that's just got a bunch of little boxes. You could check something out. Said, Maybe I could learn to do this. Maybe, well, I've done this before. It's been a while, but I'll help again. I could do that. If so, fine. Do it willingly, right? All I know is that every time I take communion, I'm remembering of what he willingly did for me with joy as I take that wafer and that bit of juice. That he willingly, for the joy set before him, walked up Skull Hill to give us the hope of salvation and eternal life. And when you partake of his body and blood, that which he gave joyfully and willingly, my prayer is that in return, you are feeling the desire to offer yourself, your time, your talents, and your treasures as joyful and spiritual offerings unto Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, that sort of offering is oh so very acceptable to him.
Amen. Okay, so again, that's, a, that's a, just a word of encouragement, maybe may a new way to th for you to be thinking about serving the Lord. But, you know, we're just blessed that this church has joyful servants. But, you know, again, I just pray that uh, this might have touched your heart somewhere as you just, number one, saw something about the Lord, how He loves us, and what a sweet, sweet Father He is. Amen? So let's go ahead and stand up, and we're going to finish with one last song of praise.